2: Tell Tetra! What, what a
3: screamer! What a screamer! What a fantastic goal! Arslan back in it!
1: Here's Limba! Lines it up! Finds the net! Arslan in front! You know that expression be careful what you wish for? Well, now you know what it means. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter Yankee Gunner. That's right. We all wanted Arsenal back. Oh, all these months, we're stuck at home, nothing to do. We're podcasting about basketball, for God's sakes. We're podcasting about 2007, but now the football's back, and it is shit again. But you know what? Having Arsenal to complain about is better than no Arsenal at all. I said that on Twitter, and I didn't get a lot of agreement actually. But you know what? It was good to have football back. I, I was doing the hot mic. I, I The palms were sweaty, and, and it, it felt like football again. And, you know, we'd made it through most of the match in the first half with, with our dignity intact, and it was going okay. But then, is that David Luiz's music I hear? Indeed it was. And he was able to single-handedly lose the game for us. And, and that is what we are going to be talking about today with Paul. You can find him on Twitter at pants, Hello, Paul. Woohoo. And Tim, you can find him on Twitter. Astroberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. And Clive, you can find him on Twitter. Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello And Scott, you can find him on Twitter. Oh, underscore that. Underscore crab. Hello, Scott. Yeah. This is what they call a full boat. You waited all this time. You're getting all the opinions. And Clive said he's going to be avin me. He said he's going to be having me with my preconceptions. I've got so many preconceptions. I can't wait to get them all out. But we have such a big panel. We're going to have to do this kind of rapid fire. In a way, I'm glad we have so many. Because I-, I think for me, the biggest disappointment with this match, apart from all of it, is that you'd like to learn something after three months of not watching Arsenal, and I feel that this becomes a game that you almost have to analytically throw away because of the injuries early, because of the individual errors that cost us the game, um, which admittedly that is a very Arsenal way to Arsenal game, but it's hard to take anything away. It's hard to really draw conclusions tactically, substitution patterns, performances. Then you combine that with the opposition we were playing, and it's it is a little bit tricky, but there's no place to start like the beginning, and Scott, it's been so long. I'll start with you, and and come on, man, we're both Americans. We're outnumbered here. We're outgunned. Be on my side. How much did you hate that lineup, man?
4: Oh, God. I really tried to tell myself in the beginning that I wasn't going to complain about it because I knew it really didn't matter, but I didn't like it not even you know so if we're gonna rate it on a scale of one to ten it really did feel like a one when i you know saw it and mm. i was like one. we waited all these months and this is what it kind of happened what was it your, didn't what, really matter what was your I, know, I don't think that lineup would have changed anything but it was kind of a, I'm not really sure what's going on here. That's a lineup.
1: It, when you look at that lineup, I mean, was there, so you're giving it a one out of ten. I, I feel even in my, my doomiest doomness, I don't know that I would go that low. But do you have, did you have a particular bugbear with that lineup, a particular uh, axe to grind over it?
4: Um, I didn't love the, you know, Aubameyang on the wide side. Um, I don't. There was just, I didn't really care. I didn't understand Joe Willick. I, I, I have trouble with him in there. Um, he has trouble in there, too, so
1: you have that in common.
4: <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I like Eddie. He's he, you know he's a fun guy and everything like that, but I don't understand necessarily him starting it. Um, I, I didn't really care for the inverted wingers. I don't know if, if Saka is a, a guy who can play on the right instead of the left. I, I just felt like there was a lot that wasn't quite there, but... I, I just didn't like it.
1: Yeah, and look, I think we should make the point. There's a huge golfing class between Arsenal and City at the best of times, and we're going to have to really be very yeah, the lineup
4: was not the problem. It was the Arsenal don't have as much talent.
1: Yeah, it wasn't going to matter, I, I don't think. But there's another point here. If we're going to be intellectually consistent, I've been harping on all pandemic about how when we come back, it's the perfect opportunity to see what the young kids have because the season is kind of a wash. Well, if we believe that, or if I believe that, then I have to kind of be intellectually honest and stick with it when the games come around and not complain when it's Willick who's starting, you know, instead of maybe a more senior or seasoned player. And, you know, then then if I get that kind of performance out of him, you know, I kind of ask for it. But, but Paul, you said you liked the lineup. Uh, I am not shocked whatsoever. So tell me uh, why it is a 10 out of 10 rainbows
3: and butterflies lineup for you. Um, look, it was always going to be interesting when Arteta went to City. He was going to make sure he didn't get drilled. Um, And he put us in a lineup that I think allowed us to at least look solid. Now, we had some bad luck. He had some bad luck. Uh, But we were pretty compact in the first half. If you take the first 46 minutes and 10 seconds, but not 46 minutes and 11 seconds, um, I think it was generally pretty solid. I know you can debate that. Uh, inverted wingers meant allowed us to be compact, uh, bringing the play into the centre. Allowed allowed those guys to. Now, it, it, there there are a couple of um, preconditions to all of that. Uh, I didn't expect Aubameyang through the middle because that's not how we play, and I'm letting that go for now. So having a big debate about uh, and getting upset about uh, Aubameyang not starting. That's not what we're doing, so I'm not. I'm not going to relitigate that from my standpoint. Aubameyang, uh, Arteta is not yet ready to to shake everything up and start playing him through the middle. So that's a whole other conversation I won't entertain at the moment. It wasn't going to happen. Eddie through the middle. I thought he did really well in the first half. He was. He caused them a lot of trouble. We didn't because there was an offside at this, at that, and there wasn't enough supply. But he did pretty well. Uh, Aubameyang was from the left. It doesn't particularly suit him in a game like that when we've no possession. I get that, but that's how we play. Um, Saka from the right, I get the logic. It did keep us compact. I thought our midfield three, given we lost Chaka, did a pretty good job for most of it, keeping, uh, keeping a lid on things. I thought Willock was fine, okay, decent, it's obvious why he was there, pressing mm. pressure. I actually think he was okay, helping us build play in the first half. He had a couple of, we had a couple of good passages of play where uh, he slipped some, uh, some passes. It was a really nice one, Eye of the needle up the right wing to Saka, probably halfway through the first half. I think everybody did okay and fine, and it was kind of what Arteta had set out to do, until the disaster class began. Um, so I didn't hate it. I thought it was okay. Decent. You know, I expected us to get drilled overall. I probably would have guessed we'd be okay in the first half and we'd get tired about halfway through the second half and then they'd, uh, score a goal or two and then we'd lose three zero by the end of it, which is kind of what happened. I, yeah. I didn't hate it. I thought everybody played okay. Um, And the Pablo Mari instead of Luis. I think we see why Luis wasn't playing. I was excited to see Pablo Mari. The two, you know, the the positives. Leno was brilliant. Uh, That is a positive. By by
1: the way, I I will just stop you and say, because a goalkeeper being brilliant tends to come as a result of the team being shit, we don't often think of that as being a positive. But it is a positive, certainly.
3: It is a positive. He was very good. Mm -hmm. Uh, Our two fullbacks, I thought Tierney did well considering um, so it was nice to see that. I was okay with our midfield three. I thought, I thought they mostly did good. I thought Genduzzi was good in the first half. I mm. thought Willock. I thought Sabias came on and did did good for us. It, you know, it wasn't okay. Uh, it, 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 you got to calibrate to your expectations. Right. Mine was maybe lower than yours. I don't know.
1: No, no, no. And so I think there's there's a couple things in there that that are really important. And and the, the where we diverge, Paul is not specifically on the first half in totality. I thought the first 30 minutes was not a great football game, period. I don't think they did much. I don't think they were particularly effective. Um, I don't think we were either for that matter, but you could see it was going to be a punch counter punch kind of game. And I do think there were opportunities for us to play in behind. I know Sky, uh, their studio analysts called this out a little bit, but... There were a couple of runs Yang made that weren't found. There were a couple of long balls that didn't quite land right. And Kedia was pulled down. It should have been a foul. It was a worse foul than the one that was given for the Louise penalty and red card, and it wasn't called, and I thought that was atrocious. But where we disagree is, I think, from the 30th minute to about the 44th, 45th minute, I thought they got it in gear, and Silva and De Bruyne went up a level, and we couldn't live with them. And that was the period where they really battered us to the tune of... Yeah. There is some truth
3: to that. I, I'm not <laughs> totally <you>. against that.
1: <laughs> no, and, and I'm not I killing us over and, it.
3: And it was mainly in that Luis area of the pitch. It wasn't well, all down to him, but it was a little bit down to him.
1: Sure. Well, well so regardless, I, I think that that's the period where you saw them sort of start to click and and show a little extra class. And they, I believe they had seven shots to our zero. They had something like, oh, uh, I, I actually... Uh, tweeted it to you, Paul. But I think we they had something like thirty-seven final third passes to our zero during that period. They had five shots on target. They had two big chances. It was the period where they really put their foot on us a bit. And and the irony, of course, is we had just ridden it out when Louise decides to to throw the game away and then subsequently throw the game sure. away again after the break. Um, but uh, you know what I what I would ask you, Tim, is you know, we, we did a, a Patreon Instant Reaction pod with you and Clive, so that's why I start with Scott and, and Paul, because I've, I've heard mm. more than enough of, of both of your opinions now. Um, <laughs> but I, I want to ask you sort of about that period, that, that 30 to 45-minute period where they were really all over mm. us. And and if you have a sense of sort of what changed and what we were failing to do, because I did feel for 30 minutes we were in the game, we were competitive, if not cohesive. I don't know that there was a lot of cohesion, period. Mm. But did, did something jump out to you during the period where they started to get on top of us that, that was going wrong?
5: Um, I think a couple of things happened. I think um, Louise coming on dragged our back line backwards a little bit towards its own goal. You're stealing
1: which, Clive's material, which by can, the
5: way. <laughs> he always <laughs>
1: talks about that. Yep. Which,
5: which, which can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also think um, that... So essentially, Arsenal were trying to like they were trying to clog up the middle a little bit um, and push City out wide when they were building from the back, and that worked quite well for 25 to 30 minutes until De Bruyne kind of <laughs> kind of said, "Okay, that's fine. I'm I'm quite happy to go out to the touchline and pull you apart there." Um, and so, and and obviously that that's where the goal comes from. Albeit to be fair, that was probably De Bruyne's like least impressive pass of that 15 minute spell. It's just that David louise cocked it up. Um so I mean I think there are there are maybe some tactical things going on there. I, I think really the answer is it's more soft factor in terms of it just took City a little while to get into their groove. Mm. Um and and that's what we saw happen. And Silver and De Bruyne have got hold of the game and because they're really intelligent players. It's not just that they're both really, really good on the ball. I saw um I saw a tweet during the game. I can't remember who it's from. It might have been from Moosa, actually. Moosa Akonga, And he said, um, you know, D- David Silva's been in the Premier League for a decade now. Like, everyone knows how good he is. And so, obviously, every team that plays City must say, pick him up. Like, don't let him have the ball. And yet, he always has space. Um, and, and so like, he didn't say that as a kind of, as a criticism of other teams, you know, mm. because it's really obvious that everyone must go, Oh, like he does this, he drifts here, he drifts there, pick him up, pick him up, but no one ever is ever able to pick him up. And I think it's the same with De Bruyne. And I, and I think the reason for that is that one of the reasons that someone like De Bruyne is on another level. Um, and i think you see this in messi's game as well they're really really good at that first 15 20 minutes just waiting and watching to see what the other team does works out what you see messi doing this all the time you know if you if, if you watch barca messi quite often barely kicks the ball in the first 10 to 15 minutes um, and I'll tell you another player who does it. If you watch Arsenal women, Vivian Medema does it as well. Mm -hmm. Barely touches the ball first 15 minutes. And it's because they're, they're working out where's the space. Where, where have they decided that I'm going to do some damage today? Right. I'm going to move away from that space. It's also something that Ozil used to be very good at as well. It's, it's a kind of right. They think I'm going to go over here. That's fine. I'll leave that space alone. And, And they just move out of it and they go somewhere else. And, 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 that's why they're on another level. It's not just the technical quality. It's it's what's going on in the brain um, as well. And so I, I think there was a bit of that. I think they um, quickly worked out what Arsenal were trying to do. And so moved into areas where Arsenal weren't. Um, but at the same time, you know, you look at that area, De Bruyne is um, operating in that kind of right half space. Perhaps if we'd had Xhaka not injured, he's a bit more of a natural in that space as a counterbalance um, and Pablo Mari is a left-sided centre half. Um, so, so effectively, we lost. You know, th- those two players are connected, right? The left-sided centre half and the left-sided central midfielder, and we lost both of them. And look at where the goals came from. Mm. They both came from that side. The f- the first two, even the Louise penalty part, it's that. You know, City's right half space. That's where Mares gets away from Luis for the second goal. So, I, I think there were some things going on there. But I mean, really, I think just the story of this goal, What we've seen from the Bundesliga as well is that what behind closed football, behind closed doors football does. It kind of removes the jeopardy and what you're seeing in the bundesliga is you're pretty much getting all the results you expect because it really really does just come down to talent when you take out a soft factor like the crowd Mm. and the influence that can have on decisions as well um for example sterling not even booked for for a challenge he made which was a borderline red card yeah i think if that Mm. happens in front of a crowd Either the away fans go, you know, are baying for blood, and that influences the ref, or there's a sharp intake of breath from the home fans, and that persuades the ref. And I think those are things you're seeing as well, and, and um, a lot less use of VAR um, because of that. So basically I just think some of the jeopardy has been removed as well.
1: Yeah, <clears throat> I will say this. As I watched it, as I watched the ship catch on fire, capsize, sink, Pop up to the surface again, then sink again. It was like it never left. I mean, it, watching this game, it was like the football never left. It was like Arsenal never left. It, it just all floated back so seamlessly, so quickly. The, the hope, the frustration, the errors, and Clive, I, I look at this team and I, I can't help but see a talent gap. And I think for all of the desire we have to analyze tactics, because that's interesting, uh, to analyze performances. I don't know that tactically or performance-wise there's much to get into in this game, because it's a game that in many ways was decided by two moments of madness by a clown, like literally a cartoon clown, uh, and we'll get into his comments after the game, but I think the story of it is the talent gap, and you don't wind up ninth in the Premier League just, you know, when you're a big club like Arsenal, just because of a coach, I mean, that could be a big part of it, but you also have to have a a rot in the club and, and in the squad, and you know, I look at this and I say, we started with a guy up front who probably is a lower end of the Premier League, upper end of the championship caliber player, a guy in midfield who's probably a championship player, another guy in Ganduzi who, while I, I think he has a high ceiling, is is a kid who's still figuring it out. We lost Shaka, so we wind up with a non not super positionally disciplined guy in Ceballos who hasn't played a ton for us, a Brazil League center back, uh, a Mustafi center back. I actually thought the fullbacks were pretty good. And, and a, a left wing stroke left back, teenager playing at right wing it just when i look at that team i say taking off the arsenal glasses taking off the the bias that we have that leads us to want to see all the best things about our player uh players clive is that a very good team is that a team that has any right to forget compete with city but push for a top four place because i i do question if the talent gap is maybe even more yawning than we than we normally allow for
2: yeah, I think it does bother me that Arsenal get laughed at. Players like Louise and Ozil get laughed at. And the quality of our team, when people say that we're not good enough for the top four, my natural instinct is to defend the club. And then I look at the players and think, well, maybe we're not, you know. And there is a vast majority of our squad, which is, you know, under 23. And that's the truth. I bet if we looked at all the minutes played by players under 23 in the Premier League, we'd be up there in the top two. Um, and that's just nature of who we are. When you have young players, you get the box of rebels. You just don't know what you're going to get. Mm. You know. So, um, and that was a classic example. of Willock yesterday? But then, we, but again, we don't know what Willock was asked to do. Um, so I think what Arteta is doing is exactly what he probably said he would do. He said, "I will try to trust in you Let's develop these players as much as we can. Let's find out who's a goer, who's a, who's staying, who's going." And let's find out where you can get them positionally, you know, relaxed and sorted out for the future. I think it's very important that we allow him to do this, because the issue I think people are looking in the wrong space when they look at the squad. They shouldn't be looking at young players because you know what happens is we know they're going to have bad moments. We all want them to be brilliant. We don't know if they are. No one does. We have a couple there that we like. They have still got a lot to do when well, they can go to Man City, and and sort them out. Right, so we're not in shape for that moment. the Issue is with the players that we are paying the heavy money to. The players in their peak years, they are not peak level players that can help youngsters be as good as they could be. The youngsters have no leadership, have no help. Even our centre forward and captain, he's not really a leader per se. He's a he's a flag bearer, but he's not a leader. I don't know a leader that drags people along with him. He's a executioner, he, he kills other teams with his goal-scoring talents but when he doesn't feel well, he's, it shows all over his face, right, when he's the way he things not going very well, so we have a situation where I think the fans tend to look at the intricacies of a, of a young player's performance when actually, that's the bit we should be investing in because that is going to be the bedrock of the squad going forward and what we need to do is create room for a new set of 23 to 26-year-old players that come in, a little bit older, a bit more experienced in other leagues, that can actually go help those youngsters deliver in those places and create a new core. And we spoke a bit about this last night. We have some players that I'm afraid just represent what we used to be. Yep. And, and and we have to, it's, it's, re, it's really painful. But is it more painful than this? Let's just not be this halfway house. Let's just rip the Band-Aid off get those players out and start to let people realise it's not okay to be that way anymore. You have to do it. Your action has to dictate things. And I think once we do that, what the next phase is to really define a playing identity. Like, I don't want to say, oh, we need identity, but I do feel the system of City playing 4 3 Liverpool, Chelsea play. we need to move towards it. As soon as we do that, I think we can start to Players into those slots that we all know so well, right? Six double eights, wide forward, centre forward pivot, a back four, expressive fullback, strong centre backs, so and covering wide right areas. The formula, we all know it. Mm. Let's start to do that. We can't do it now because what he's doing, he's trying to find out about people. While he's finding out, you think, I need a bamming up top, I need my two pivots, I've got to protect things. These players are not very athletic, so I've got to put them into a two, three, five system because that gives me cover on the break. It works against eighty five percent of the league, but it doesn't work against the top six, especially away. the last time we won away from home was I think it was twenty fifteen and I may have had an afro in twenty fifteen. <laughs> <what I> mean? <laughs> so
1: I'd like to see a picture is, of that, please.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it was a long time ago and um are we still eulogizing over Sandy Cazorla and Aaron Ramsey mm-hmm. etc we need to I and mean, we we need to move on and we need to move on yeah, to be fair we,
3: Clive he was very good
1: yeah well he was he's worth eulogizing over especially when you look at the state of our midfield and and Scott I guess that's what I'll ask you is we know the problems with the back line and we know we have some talent in the front line that we're sort of maybe using in a frustrating way i think you can see a path to a successful front line at Arsenal with the players that we have and maybe even see a path to a future of a decent back line when Saliba gets in. And based on how Tierney and Bellerin looked, I thought they were high, highlights you know, or, or certainly higher lights than than what else happened on the pitch. But the midfield to me looks like an area that is bad and getting worse. Um, and watching it contrasted with what City are able to do with Silva and De Bruyne, who were absolutely next level you know, a, a cut above. And then even Gundogan, who I thought was pretty good and, and what they even brought in to the midfield later. I thought it was a really interesting mirror to hold up to us in terms of where we are in midfield for you. Is the midfield starting to become the, the glaring weakness and and the issue with us trying to play with teams like City?
4: Yeah, I thought yesterday was a a huge, um, you know, kind of a a glaring red siren of this is concerned. Um, But I also think there might be a little bit of a mitigation that, you know, things tend to be different when Granite Xhaka is there, which is kind of weird to say for how much hate he got earlier in the season. Um, I think that his ability to actually drop deep and then actually be that first pass out of the defense has actually been something um, that was something that I think really plays to his strengths, and I don't think that there's really another player that wants to do that or is comfortable doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I was kind of looking back later at the stats, and um, Gwendouzi and Willick both really didn't do much to make themselves available. Um, both of them didn't have a ton of targets in their passing. Um, they didn't have a ton of touches. Um, when I was watching the match, one of the things that really kind of you know stood out to me is that both of them were weren't making themselves available for other players. Um, and I don't know if, especially with Gwenduzi, you know, he likes to, to run around a lot, but I think that he's been kind of told, you know, maybe we need to, you know, mind your position a little bit more. Um, so I wonder if he's kind of torn between those two kinds of worlds where he's like, I need to, you know, I need to stay in my position so I don't, you know, lose our shape but then he loses his dynamism where he's able to get open and be able to do things with his ability to move. So I think those were kind of interesting things. Ceballos, I thought, was good, but I don't think he was a, a direct replacement for for Xhaka, especially when you, know, you think about what Xhaka's been doing under Arteta, you know moving back into that left center back role, letting the, the fullback kind of release up the field, and then being the quarterback from that position. We didn't really have that in this match, and I think that was something that was a bit of a concern.
1: I I just I I don't want to be down on the future of Arsenal, but as we look at ways that Arsenal can sort of ascend back into the top four and then ultimately into a title challenge, you could talk me into a a bright future defensively. You know, with with plenty of caveats in place. There, obviously, you could definitely talk me into a bright future in attack, and it, it is midfield where where I struggle to see that future coming together and. Paul, I'll just quickly ask you about Willick. I mean, you, you've said you thought he was all right. For me, I don't think anybody in the midfield did particularly well. And again, City, where you're really going to see um, your midfielders tested is their positional intelligence, right? Because City move the ball very quickly. They're very organized. They know where they're supposed to be. And if you pop out of your hole or move out of your position, they will exploit that. I saw Ganduzi on a couple of instances. He likes to pinch up and, and try to you know intercept a pass or take the ball off someone's foot early didn't get the timing right, and they were by him. But I, I felt Willick was looking around, kind of bewildered a lot. And it's not so much they he did anything wrong on the ball. He was 16 of 17 passing. His biggest problem was just that he wasn't involved, which, is, which can happen against City. But watching him off the ball, it really looked like the game was happening around him and he wasn't participating in it. That's what I saw. So do you have a different take on, yeah. on his involvement in the game?
3: Yeah, I I just think you're terribly, terribly wrong.
1: Yeah, I mean, and to be fair, you know, now that football's back, I want to really lean into what I do best. So, you know, kind of like Arsenal did against City, Calamity. That's where I'm at. So correct me then. I'd I'd be happy to hear it.
3: Well, I don't know if it's correct. Look. you know, I, I am who I am. I, I'm not really looking to adop, adopt another stray, but Coquelin's gone somehow. <laughs> willing, well, no. <laughs> I, but I blame you and I blame people like Calvin. It's like Calvin will tweet me, defend your boy. and I'm like. <laughs> Challenge accepted. <laughs> I, you know, I just don't think is it such a crime to say somebody isn't terrible, that they're only somewhat guilty, that it's manslaughter instead of murder. Look, I, having watched the game loosely while working yesterday, apologies to my employer. Um, I can't say I watched it two and a half times. I watched it one and a half times. I knew the plot line. So I went back and watched the game in the first half. And I think Willock was doing exactly what he was supposed to be doing, where he was supposed to be. Um, I just think when we get battered, it colors our feeling on players and we exacerbate their worst characteristics. I don't think he was lost in the first half. I think he did exactly what he was asked to be doing. I think he pressed well. He pushed up the field. Our front three, you know, part of what we were doing was looking to pin them back so they couldn't play out easily. But if they could play out, it would be up the wings and we just handled that. It has a a ring of Emery about it. It's it's mm. funny they're all coming up with the same answer. We gave them the wings on the basis that it, they're going to hurt you from somewhere. Let's at least know where the trouble's coming from. It's like Rourke's drift, right? You know when they're coming. You can see them. As long as you have them in front of you, um, you know, you just got to shoot as many of them and, and do the best you can. And we basically were playing a bit of a Rourke's drift defense. We kept it solid in the middle. I think Willock absolutely did what he was supposed to there was some talk from people i, w- I won't mention who they were saying you know all our counters failed when willock got the ball kind of thing i don't think that's right i don't think he was brilliant on the counter no, I mean, but
1: Tierney ha- probably blew the best counter chance where obamiang had tons yeah. of room to run into and he he played this weird crossfield pass to Saka instead of just playing um obamiang in behind and that is a recollection that's purely my own and not yeah. in any way stolen from Tim from yesterday's Patreon pod. So,
3: yeah. Yeah, and I actually think he had a few moments where he was putting swinging crosses, and I expect much better from him once he settles in again. But that was the weakest part of his game. I thought he was pretty good defensively mm. at building up play. You know, it, it, you're fighting for scraps here. I think there was enough there to go away from that, having expected a drubbing to say, okay, well, if you just look at the first half, uh, uh, like, I think Willock was absolutely fine. I think Arteta will, would have come away from that first half saying, Oh yeah, he did okay. He did what I wanted of him. He kept position, he, he pushed, he pressed. Uh he you know, there's a reason we pushed them back in, uh while they were trying to play out. Uh Edison's passing is just fucking phenomenal though. He uh, he is like really the- he is a really big Jesus difference Christ. maker there. Yeah. I mean yeah. And uh, the- Leno was brilliant. As a goal-stopping keeper, and Ederson was like a game-changer in terms of those balls he delivered, Yeah. Uh, because part of what we had achieved was making the center so solid that they started to mix it up by spraying it around, and they kind of loosened and jiggled us a bit till they started seeing some gaps, and it was in that pocket in front of David Luiz, and it was Mm. partly uh you know they found they found the spaces and moved us around, and they're like quite good
1: yeah no i I agree look I think um in that first half when we were still 11 b eleven I mean they outshot us nine to two, six on target to none um they just about doubled us up and completed passes and had uh, about five times the number of attacking third passes i mean i I think that they were in the ascendancy those last fifteen minutes as we pointed out, but Tim the story of the game is david louise and it is frustrating because you want to analyze tactics and you want to analyze substitution patterns and you want to analyze performances and you want to analyze all this stuff and what you're left with is this steaming turd with a long flowing lock of curly hair um ruining the game for everybody i i think it's instructive to go back and watch hector bellerin when maras's goal goes in uh actually sterling's goal goes in um Yep. Because Bellerin just yeah. looks furious. They've worked hard. Football's back. We haven't been great, but we've been surviving. And, you know, we've had a couple little openings, and he just gives it away with the laziest piece of half assed defending you've ever seen. And a little nod to Mustafi, who, while I, I think this is being overly critical, stops tracking the guy. He doesn't track the runner because he doesn't feel he needs to. And, and by the way, I was correct. It is Mars, isn't it, who scores the first goal? Right?
5: No, Sterling. Sterling scores it. Yeah, Sterling, 46.
1: Yeah. That's right. Sterling and then uh, and then De Bruyne from the penalty spot. But so yeah. so I guess what I would say to you is David Luiz wasn't supposed to play in this game. He winds up coming in for Mari after the injury, and we'll see what that means going forward. And now David Luiz can't play at the weekend. Break this down for me, two things. One, the mm. performance itself, and then maybe as a little coda to that, the, the bizarre head-scratching comments he makes after the game in relation to it.
5: Yeah. So the, the kind of, um, in terms of his mistakes, I mean, it's all tied up really. And, and he made the link between his contract and his performance because like, so we know that Louise goes through these kind of periods, right. Where he either like, there's no in between in his performance and his relationship with a coach. He either absolutely adores the coach or he hates his guts. And you get the variance in performance from that. Like he's not capable of moderation, basically. Mm. Um, but from what we know so far, he's really liked playing under Arteta. Um, and and look, when Luis says he likes a coach, like everyone says they like their coach pretty much. Um, but when he says it, you can take it that he means it. Um, and so what, what we'd had is we'd had the kind of the usual David Luis redemption arc where he doesn't really like the other manager. Um, tick um, plays in defensive midfield. Tick manager gets sacked. Tick new one comes in. He loves him and everything's fine. And he starts playing much better and Arsenal him to start defending a little bit better. Um, and, you know, he was captain against Portsmouth in the FA Cup, which, believe it or not, is a recent game. <laughs> It's and, and and Arteta says stuff like I'm really happy with him I really wanted him to be a leader and he's done that but but something has changed something in the background has changed and obviously it's it's to do with his contract and and the problem is with Luis because he is because he makes his emotion his master and not his servant Um, And and actually, I I have to give um, credit to Pete from the Grove here, um, who tweeted after his first mistake, after the first goal, he tweeted the problem with Luis when he makes a mistake is he chases and he makes another one. And that's exactly what happened. It's, it's, you know, seen it countless times. You watch the Brazil-Germany 7-1. Once it gets to 2-3-0 or to Germany, he decides to just go walk about and lose his mind. Happened at Anfield in August. He gives away one goal, um, or oh, sorry, he gives away a penalty, and he goes chasing after Salah and just gets turned inside out. So he gives away two goals, and and that's the thing with with David Luiz. Once he makes a mistake, he can't get his head back into the game because mm. he just loses his mind. Um, and then you have his 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 um, his comments afterwards about the contract and. Which which are quite difficult to unpick, but I kind of took it. Maybe I'm wrong here, but because so the the comments I'm referring to. Um, and so so for a start, I didn't appreciate his comments for all the kind of all oh, he fronted up and all of that. Do you know what? Sometimes I think you just shut the fuck up. Honestly, silence can be gold. There is nothing wrong with shutting the fuck up. And yeah, it reminds me people, a little bit,
1: Tim, of the era when we'd lose devastatingly and then all the players would rush to social media to apologize yeah. to the fans and say how they're, and you're just yeah. like, I don't want to hear it. Just fuck off.
5: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There, There is nothing wrong with, in, in any scenario in life, I say this as, as as an introvert and as a quiet man, there is nothing wrong with shutting the fuck up. He says from his podcast. <laughs> yeah, indeed. <laughs> and, and so, and yeah, so- Can like, I
3: interrupt you, Tim? Just joking. It.
5: Just joking. <laughs> um, and and so, and, and this, this is really a time he should shut up, right? And definitely don't talk about the contract. Like that's the thing that everyone cares about because ultimately nobody really cares if you stay or go mate, like your contract is not at the top of the list for Arsenal fans and we don't really want to hear it. So shut up and go away. You've made your two mistakes. Go back to the dressing room, consolidate, try not to do it again. Right. But, but it's, it's this comment, I should have made a different decision. And you can read that one of two ways, I think. You can read it that um, he wants to stay, Arteta wants him to stay, but the kind of the top brass at the club have kind of said, no, we can't afford this. Um, and by the way, that is a decision I would absolutely respect. And I think that would be a fairly rare example of clear-minded competence from them um particularly to do it to a Kia Dirabchan <laughs> client, um, that would actually reassure or regardless of whether I agreed with that decision, that would actually reassure me a lot if Raoul and Edu said, no, we're making this call, this is our job, sorry, can't have a thirty-three year old on that much money. Or You could read it as he's tried a little game of brinkmanship and he was offered the contract a couple of months ago and him and Kia thought they'd be fucking smart and go, nope, nope. We want two years. We want two years. We want a bit more money. And, and basically then COVID happened and they thought, oh fuck, now we're not even going to get a year from, from Arsenal or possibly even anyone. Um, and that's the, that's the one, that's the explanation I think is most likely because, Um, And I've said this before, like, um, Luis is very popular in the Brazilian press. Well, he's not popular, but he's written about a lot. And I saw these comments about Benfica about a month ago. And that, to me, says that him and Kia were putting the feelers out because they thought they might not get another deal from Arsenal. So personally, I think... But what happened was there was an offer on the table. He thought it'd be clever or sorry, Kia thought it'd be clever and go, no, no, we want two years. And it might've blown up in their faces. And, and and now Arsenal have got a lot of these situations. And and to be fair, like with Ceballos and Suarez and Mari, but to be fair, a lot of clubs have got that at the moment. Spurs haven't got Batongan tied down. Chelsea don't know what they're doing with, with Willian and Pedro. So I've got some sympathy for Arsenal there. And I'd be delighted if they made the call that we're not giving him the contract because we're going to run this like a sensible football club. Unfortunately, I don't think that's the answer. I think the answer is that Louise and Gerabtian tried something um, and it's blown up in their faces, and that's been obviously distracted him.
1: Yeah, and I, I got to say, I mean, you sort of touched on this, Tim, but like, I, I wonder what it does in the dressing room, but I can tell you what it does as a fan. Here's a guy who has made the game all about himself on the pitch, right? He has let his his teammates down, and they are not just errors – like mistakes like oh you tried to pass it back and you left it short like I guess Mustafi did against Chelsea these are things of not being switched on not being focused not you know following through professionally with with what you're doing the half ass waving a leg at a cross and you know defending with your arms instead of shuffling your feet and letting Mars get you in a position where you got to haul him down you still don't have to but you do it anyway you've made the game all about you then you've got to grab the microphone and find a camera and make it all about you after the game, not just to apologize, but to bring up your fucking contract. Like, if I were a teammate of his, I'd be like, haven't you done enough, dude? Just just shut up and go home. Like, the world doesn't need to hear about your poor contract situation. And the idea, I mean, look, we know as fans that contract situations do weigh on players, but to basically say, oh, I fucked up twice on the pitch and lost us the game because I've got my contract on my mind is totally unacceptable as a professional. And I you know, I think sometimes the the concept of optics and reading the room come into play and you know, with the Shaka throwing the armband down thing, you know, we debated that so many times, but just the optics of doing that are so bad. I think optically this is this is equally poor. And Clive, I I guess I will ask you this since we're we're probably moving away from the football analysis portion of the pod we've got to talk ozo, we've got to talk Pepe, we've got to talk where we go from here, so I will give you a swing at this, although I know Paul may have to run. Paul. do we need to say goodbye to you, or can you stick around for one more answer?
3: We do, okay. uh, I'd just like to say, Elliot, um you know people like you need to lean into our mediocrity. I think that's where you're going wrong. That's my message for today.
1: It, it is a, a, arguably the, the best way to good. a calm and and, and relaxed life. Yeah, maybe if we just accept we're not very good things like this won't bother me. Uh pause on Twitter pause yeah. pause to my pants thanks pause. Bye we'll
4: everybody, talk to you soon. Yeah. Um
1: Bye. so Clive, I'll, I'll give you this this option. I mean, before we sort of move on to the meta portion of the pod, the the circus and and drama that is the the Arsenal tra- traveling crew right now. Like what was there anything football-wise that you want to pick out of this after the the Louise calamity? Is there anything you'd like to highlight in terms of patterns of player performances that that you think you can squeeze a little bit of insight out of? Because for me, I think at that point, the game kind of just became a fait accompli.
2: I think Arteta knew that City used two wingfielders in um, Silva and the De Bruyne. And I actually do think he wanted to block those sides off with Willock and Shekka. And... If you look at what happened, very simply, it's a simple player quality issue and sustaining it. So, in that right-hand channel, you've got Murray. You got Shaka. They both got injured in the first two minutes, right? So, Shaka in the first two minutes, but Murray, when um, Mustafi went out, Murray didn't get a hamstring. He hurt his ankle in that very first two minutes. And he only felt it again. When he um, sprinted after Walker, so that wasn't the point. So he got injured. So we had basically the game plan ripped up after two minutes. And what happens then is we fill those spots with two players that are just not as solid or focused. And City, you call it in football, can I find the dope, right? So City then look and say, "Where's the dope? Ah, David Luiz is the dope. Let Kevin De Bruyne move over here, and let's start to let's start to manipulate around him." Because we think he's crap. Do you know what I mean? And so what happens then is Chiarantini then reacts to this. He starts to press in. That only exposes um, Louise even more. We want to keep Aubameyang high, play a little bit of a Russian roulette. Hopefully they'll, they'll stop off and come and mark him. They don't. They don't care. They leave him. We don't play him in when he's one-on-one. So we don't do the risk and reward. So it's a balancing act. They left a kid, Garcia, on Aubameyang, and We don't play him in. You know, we don't do it often enough. Yet, when they get to our dope, they play him in all the time. They play whoever they want to play and they run off our shoulders. So it comes back to quality. We lost it in the first two minutes of that game. We weren't able to replace players that were more stable, more assured, with players that actually have disciplined positioning and focus in the game. And I do think all City did was popped it into those spaces, a little zigzag through the holes. And they pulled us apart. And eventually, Guendouzi, Willock, and Sabias ran out of energy. We dropped away from that moment on. And we become disconnected from our front three, who become more and more despondent. All we can do is go long. When we go long, it's coming back the same way. And City just end up pushing us back into our half. So it was a slow death. And how can we get away from this? How can we, you know, looking forward into next season... What do we need to do? We need the ability to have a single pivot in the space midfield that can cover big spaces for when we get pulled into wide areas and we don't look so vulnerable. That isn't Guendouzi, that isn't Willett, it isn't Maitland-Niles, it isn't Ceballos. The only one close to Shaka. we've all seen that. So we know there's a ceiling there. So we need to buy in that interior because we cannot handle the stress of good passing build-up teams in the top six. We can handle the stress of poor teams. You know, so we know that. as we're build as we are criticizing the team, which we always do after the defeat, we know about certain players, but there are other players that we don't know about. So if you're the coach, what would you do? You have to have a look at the ones you don't know about to see how they handle these moments. I think that's what he's trying to do. That's probably why he was hired. Mm.
1: I I think Scott that like I when I was getting ready for this podcast, that was that was a lot of really just unfortunate mouth noises that I made there. But I, I was trying to to write down things about the game that we would talk about, and inevitably it just kept coming back to more of the the narrative issues than the tactical ones. Um, one of the narrative issues that that I have listed here is the Pepe issue, and you know if if you're not going to wind up mid table mediocrity forever. At some point, you got to stop making tons and tons and tons of fucking mistakes in the market. Losing Ramsey for free, losing Alexis essentially for free, you know, saddling yourself with ridiculous wages for players who either don't live up to your expectations in the case of someone like Kolasinac or someone who, you know, doesn't perform up to his contract in the case of Ozo, who will still come on to. So... The Pepe situation is scary because we are not a club that can really spend 75 million or 70 million pounds on a one-player, period. We did, and we're not using him. And this is now three coaches who have not used him. Um, I believe in Pepe. I actually think Pepe is a good player who has played well when given the chance. He's never really gotten a run in the side. He was not used in this game. Now, look, it could have been the case that the plan was to use him. And you know, I feel for Arteta, we've criticized his substitution patterns, but to be fair, in almost every game since he's been coach, there's been a red card or an injury or both. Even with five subs, he still has his his decisions made for him to some extent by Luis and the two injuries. So so I have sympathy there, but is the Pepe problem sort of the the coup de grace, the, the cherry on the whipped cream on the cake of squad building disasters? Because it's starting to feel like this is heading towards him not having an arsenal future and again i that's a very very preliminary judgment but i guess what i'm saying is at this particular moment it does not feel like this is a big player for arsenal's future and he was a big big uh, uh, outlay economically
4: i, I guess i'm going to try to be a little bit more optimistic that you know this is the first game back Touche. after <laughs> after a big a big layoff um, we have another match on saturday you know if you actually kind of looked at the two which one is probably the most important which ones you know the more likely to get points out of it it's is you know point. brighton mm-hmm. at the weekend um so you kind of have to you know think about how you're going to do it how you're going to go about building your squad um you know the fitness levels aren't going to be at the level that you would expect at you know the middle of the season or even actually at the beginning of the season where you have a full you know pre-season to get players up to you know up to speed you know you have a bunch of friendlies that, you know Arsenal only played but two friendlies before this so there really isn't there at the level Um, so yeah, I think the plan was probably that he was going to be a guy that maybe came on, you know, later in the game, um, you know, be able to get him some minutes, but keep him fresh for the weekend. Um, I think that was probably a lot of, you know, the, you know, when you looked at the lineup, you know, I know I complained about it, but that probably was how things were going to, it's like, we have a a match coming up here pretty quick and, you know, that's going to be the way for the rest of the season. So we are going to have to rotate. So I think that I'm going to see. How things are at the weekend. I think that then he'll start. You know, that's probably a better thing for him. This actually probably would have been um, a decent match for him. You know, style wise, Um, you know, when he did well at Lille, it was you know playing on the break, being able to attack into space, Um, and I think that would have been something that you know Arsenal would have been set up for um, to be able to do. But I guess that that wasn't what Arteta saw, and that's not what he was playing was.
1: It's tough for me because I think. When we look at the squad building situation at Arsenal, we got some bright young academy talent, which is which is good, but most of them won't make it. And that's not me hating on them. It's just the reality of football. Most of them won't make it. Um, we have a lot of older players who are in the departure lounge.
4: and, yeah, then, and then there's a lot of the stopgap yeah, signings. Yeah, that's, th- th- that's been exactly. Lately. And those are just really expensive really fast.
1: Yeah, so I you know I look at the players and I say well who who is a sort of entering prime or in prime player that we could build around as we start to clear out some of the older players and 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 bring through the younger players and Pepe would be it and the fact that he hasn't really been able to make his name at the club and and a, a three different coaches have been reluctant to really rely on him doesn't inspire a lot of confidence. Tim, I guess this leads to the bigger question which is how much can any team achieve when so few of the, the members of the squad are really long-term committed to the project. Now, you could say no player's ever long-term committed to anything because they could always decide that they want to transfer to a bigger club or, or you know go for a bigger contract, but you look at Obamiang's situation and Luiz's situation and Pablo Marie, we don't necessarily own him long-term. Cedric Suarez is alone. I know he, it's not that he plays. Shaka looked like he was in the departure lounge. We'll have to see. Kolasinac probably isn't in our future. We'd love to get rid of Mesut Ozil. And I could go on and on and on, Mustafi and, and, and all down the line. I mean, how difficult is it for Arteta and for the club to, to rebuild and win and achieve things when so few of the players are really along for that journey?
5: So in the short term, extremely difficult, particularly with all the kind of the the, the attempts to change culture. Um, really, really difficult until we get rid of some of those players. Long term, um, it makes it easier to rebuild. Um, whether we rebuild well and what kind of money we have to rebuild build with are other conversations. But actually, I, I think basically there there is a coda on this arsenal squad and and you're right you've you've just illustrated that most of them won't be here in a year to 18 months now I mean when you consider how much turnover there's already been in the last two years you know it just speaks to how badly the the squad's been put together on a number of occasions and Elliot I think you've got a right at this point to say I was right because a couple of years ago you know um, you, you very much pointed to the signings of players like Abamyang, Mikatarian committing a load of wage to Ozil and said that that's a short-term project and it has to work and it hasn't. And it's put us in, in all sorts of trouble. And we've been kind of chasing our losses ever since with, with these kind of short-term signings. So in, in the short term, it makes things very difficult. But I, I was thinking today, actually, Um, Because on one hand, I was kind of thinking, God, I kind of I feel sorry for Arteta. Um, But then on the other hand, I thought to myself, well, actually, maybe I don't like if I was him, I would look at this and think, well, the only reason I've got this job in the first place is because Arsenal are a mess. Um, And they they were they were kind of panicking and they couldn't think of who else to appoint. And to be honest, I I think they probably knew that Arteta was a coach who was going to want to like clear out and really change things. And I think we're all enthusiastic about him doing that again, whether he does it well, um, we will see in the fullness of time. He might, he might make loads of mistakes as he tries to, you know, clear these players out and put it all back together again. He, he might make errors and it might all be rubbish again. But I think the first part, the knocking the building down, we are all pretty much on board with. Um, and, And that part, um, I mean, I don't. It, it won't be easy in the true sense of the word. But basically, a lot of the contracts are coming up anyway. Özil's got one year. Abou has got one year. Mustafi's got one year. I think Sokratis has got one year. If if they don't go now, they're, they're still going to be gone soon. When when if we have a conversation this time next year, the squad's going to look very different. That's just that that's just a fact. At this stage, we we won't have to try very hard to shake um some of the bad apples out of the tree at the moment um so th- and and i think the kind of i guess the covid situation and stuff like that it's just given arsenal every excuse they need to do the clive palmer patented blow it up <laughs> yeah you know the uh, problem project
1: <laughs> you'd like when you blow it up for cash to rain down on you in the explosion and like yes. the scary thing is we're talking about how great it is because we're in a position to reboot this fucker which
5: fine yep. but with no but money, we can't. We can't raise any yeah, cash. We,
1: like, yeah, go ahead. Sorry.
5: We we can't ignore that the second part is very difficult, and it's going to be even more difficult because we're talking about contracts running down. You know, look, look at let's let's look at Arsenal's um, most influential players of the last kind of I don't know ten years. Ramsey gone for nothing. Sanchez gone for nothing. Özil. Eventually, we'll go for nothing after bleeding Um, us of everything we had along the way. (laughs) Yeah, Kazola. Um, and and look, I'm not saying this one is Arsenal's fault, but Kazola went for nothing, Wilshire went for nothing, (laughs) and 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 Kaschelny,
1: for all intents and purposes, went for nothing
5: for peanuts. Yeah, Mm -hmm. so. We're already dealing with some really bad legacy decisions and there are quite a few other players who are going to go on a free. And so we've got to rebuild on a shoestring and we don't have the Champions League. So we don't have that money. We don't have that cash or repu- like a cachet rather like the reputations fading, the sheen's coming off. And it's going to be difficult. So the, the first part, knocking it all down, is easy. That is that is the easy part. That's not going to take long, even if players are reluctant. Their contracts are coming up anyway. It's the second part. That's when we'll see um, the the true kind of the the metal of Arteta, I guess.
1: Yeah, and and it is it is why we almost have to try to see what we have with these young players because if you have no money, these are the guys who are going to be playing. I. I had sort of been kind of optimistic that with the combination of this young talent that we have and some of the clever buys like Torreira and you know what well, Pepe not a clever buy but a big buy like maybe you've got the the bones the skeleton of a team that can get back to the top and compete but looking at losing a lot of significant first team players for next to no money and replacing them with kids some of whom will never be good enough it could mean that we have some some long term pain before we have any real gain. And, and Clive, I think this leads us to the Mesadozo conversation. Let me mm. let me direct it this way. Let's set aside whether he would have been any help. I mean there are a lot of people with agendas who will point out all these moments where Obamayang was trying to run in behind and we didn't make the right pass and oh he could have made that pass. I mean, we know he could have how often has he been doing it, but setting that aside, um I don't know tactically if it's right, for us to... I believe in keeping things in-house and not airing dirty laundry, but there comes a point where you've strained credulity to the breaking point. And this Arteta statement that the Ozil, the decision to leave Ozil out of this enlarged squad with five extra subs was tactical, just doesn't wash. Quite obviously doesn't wash. And I have to ask, at this point, even setting aside whether it makes sense to have Ozil in teams, does it make sense to continue to handle it this delicately? Or are we at the point where someone in the club has to step in, make it clear that there's just an irreparable, irreconcilable difference between these the club and the player, and and take the pressure off the, the coach? Because, you know, as we saw with Emery, who I have no love for, obviously, ultimately, when the club won't speak up and you're forced to keep it in-house, the person who winds up carrying a lot of the weight for this situation is the coach.
2: Yeah, I mean, we let this situation develop, and it's not the first time. We've had this situation where certain players become bigger than the club, and they feel bigger than the club. That's what obviously feels, so he can rip the backside out of the club financially, and he's proven he can do that. And all he's got to do is put out an Instagram post touching the badge and, and let the let the war develop online between the people, that the disciples, and people that can see that he's taken over 100 million quid out of this club and well, more than that if you look at that signing financially I wonder if it's the most the worst signing in our history it could easily be financially the worst signing in our history because it's potentially I feel it's holding us back but that wasn't his fault that's the club's fault and I, I urge you to watch the video when David Louise was signed um, I think it was on a similar day to Pepe the video came out you got one player coming in you, you can see this is the place where he wants to be he's on the way up you got another player, Dave Luiz, walking in, just strolls in, like, yeah, all right, I'm here. Yeah, go through the old picture signing, blah, blah, blah. I suppose now my career's on the downslide. I don't want Arsenal to be a place where old men come to get their pensions on the downslide of their careers. It, and it needs to, it, it does need to stop. And Ozil is an example of that. Now... Hey look, there was a time when he was a much better player than he is right now. But this has been in the post for a couple of years and we've been debating it. And we're being defined by idiots. We're being defined by mediocrity. We're being defined by opportunists on the pitch and off the pitch. These people are not doing their jobs for the club. And then we're being defined by them, by their actions or inactivity. And it's this is what we talk about a lot. Stupid decisions contractually, stupid decisions with management. We don't treat our majors very well in my opinion. We don't support them. We don't support them fiscally. We didn't support Freddy coach-wise. We're too slow to make decisions on him. We should have gone after Baku in hindsight. And I still think that hire was required for the club, but we can debate that. We hire our in at the wrong time, way too late. We don't give them a clear chance. The world market has changed. And now we have a situation where the guy can't even potentially plan his new season. And in the middle of this, we have certain players that just look out for themselves. So whether it's not about whether you like the player or not. It's whether you like the club. It really is. It's whether you like the club. We want the club to progress. Because we can't progress as quickly and as smoothly with, with that player in the club. And that's my opinion. And it has been for quite a while. Now, the situation comes up when, when Emery dropped him. We... Um, we allowed Emery to get bullied and buried because the reason why we haven't got enough quality to replace Ozil and we missed that quality when he's on the pitch, even though it's fleeting. And even yesterday when Willet plays in that role, he's a different player, obviously, a similar role, not quite, not quite exact. The quality isn't there and the consistency isn't there. So we, we think back to what Ozil could potentially do. We have to stop doing this. We have to remove it. In the club and then allow other people to flourish without him in the room at the same time yeah. and that's the, and that's the way football is you never know until you're left there alone when you know someone else is always there you're going to get your shirt back you don't quite do it you need to be exposed and this is what's happening so you know my view you know my view he has been consistent you don't change cultures with that person around and there's a couple more like him some are triers hard workers some trouble they like, and it's not about, you know, I'd much rather have people that can potentially reach somewhere or people that are aligned to the club and the major's ambitions, and that's what we need to do is give the major a chance of, to build a team in his own image.
1: Yeah, and, and I have to say, look, even the, the, the most diehard Ozil loyalists who think he's better than what we're currently using, whether they are right or wrong, I don't think there can possibly be any debate that he is at the level he used to be or really at the level that we need him to be. And, you know, watching Kevin De Bruyne against us, you see what a modern 10 at, at his absolute peak and one of the best in football, to be fair, can do. And that's what we were paying Ozil to be. And and I don't know that he was ever that kind of player. I mean, he was never that kind of player. He was never Kevin De Bruyne. But, you know, it it, it is interesting the... The amount of slack we give this guy for the money we gave him, we expected to get a return like what Kevin De Bruyne gives to City. For that money, he needed to be that good. Now, you could say he was never that good. I mean, I, we could debate that. That's a debate. But he has never been that good since we gave him the money. And any extent to which you want to defend him, and there are reasons to defend him. You can say, oh, he's better than what we've been using. So be it. We paid him to be that, to be what, what De Bruyne is doing at City, and what we've gotten is so far short of that. And it's been a huge problem for the club. And, you know, I, I think we are facing another sort of similar situation with Aubameyang, which is is going to drag on, unfortunately. But, Scott, let me just ask you this. Since we've started to drift out of the discussion of football, and it sucks to go three months without football and then have a game that doesn't really have very interesting footballing discussions to be had because the game was wrecked both by injury and by insanity, do you have any thoughts on the substitutions he did make? I mean, So here are the rules as I understand it. You can make three substitutions, or not three substitutions. You have three periods in the game where you can make substitutions, plus one at halftime. Plus halftime. Right. So you can make yeah. four total substitution periods. In those four periods, you can exchange up to five players. So when we had to make two subs for injuries, what we were down to was halftime, where we didn't make one, and then one more. So he had to do all three at once at that time, which he did. Do you have any thoughts on the timing of it, who he we, who we picked? Was the game just lost, and at that point it was an irrelevance? Do you have any reaction to the decision to bring on Lacazette, Maitland, Niles, and Nelson?
4: I mean, it was nice to you know see you know, what Nelson could do. I thought he actually looked pretty good. He actually ended up creating the best chance for Arsenal. Um, I thought that was you know kind of a, a positive thing to be able to see. Um, And then the other two, I I don't really have a a ton of opinions about. I mean, Lacazette, you know, maybe he just needed some minutes. You know, Ainsley Maiden-Niles is a weird one because it doesn't seem that arteta was all that keen to use him before this so now it's interesting to see him getting minutes and minutes in midfield where everybody wanted to see him play and you know for the longest time you know we didn't get a chance to see that happen um so yeah um I, you know i guess it was interesting his hands were tied i don't think that was probably his original plan was to be able to do a triple sub all at you know once but um yeah i mean there there it's it's so hard to really say anything because Everything got screwed up so badly from probably how things were, were drawn up and you know the blueprint that they had going into the match. If you had to guess, just a
1: back-of-the-napkin wild-ass guess, that the decision to go with Maitland-Niles in midfield and Nelson up front over some of the alternatives, if you had to guess that they were decisions to use them because the game was lost and it was a chance to get the minutes... Or that they genuinely reflect their position in the pecking order above other players, which would you lean towards it being?
4: I think for some of them, you know, I think that I think Martinelli is probably the you know the probably higher in the pecking order over Nelson at the moment. Um, So I don't know if that one necessarily says anything, Um, and I don't think Maitland-Niles is. Hugely um, high in the list in the midfield, but you know we already saw a midfield change um, in there. So I think you know maybe that probably with another one that's not really a, a reflection of the pecking order. I think it was more let's just get these guys some minutes, let's see out this match, let's try not to get any more injuries before we go into Saturday.
1: Mm, yeah, and and I I don't really know. I'll level with you. I, I don't have a thought. I mean, Tim, just real quick, do you have do you have a take on that 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 those those substitutions were made? with a recognition that the game was lost in just to get the minutes or more yeah, reflecting so. a,
5: a, a priority. No, I, I, I don't know. Like, so, I mean, uh, substitutions have maybe been an, an issue for Arteta so far. Um, so I, am not sure how much more thought went into them than, um, look, this is our first game in three months needed to make my five subs. A couple of those decisions were made for me quite early on. Um, let's just get some minutes in some legs that I'm going to be using. Um, Very, very imminent. Because it's not just, you know, this is a really congested period now. We're playing on Saturday away, which means again, traveling on the day um, as we did for Manchester. Um, And then we're playing away again on Thursday, traveling on the day, traveling back straight after, and then we're playing away again next Sunday. So we've got, Four away games and they're very, very different at the moment because it's all travelling on the day and coming back on the day. No hotels or anything like that. So, that you know that there's there's a lot of things to consider. And I, honestly, I don't think an awful lot more went into it than there are some guys who need to come off and there are some guys who could probably do with fifteen minutes and this game's dead. So, why not?
1: Mm, yeah, uh, Clive, you, your your take on that is just batting down the hatches mainly.
2: Yeah. Just add some energy into a team. I, I do think um, you know, I, I predicted pre-season, well that Lacazette would be a player I think would have a poor season, and he and he did. some of that was down to fitness and injury maybe pre-season. But what I will say, he's come back looking really fit. He looks sharper and lighter. And I I can see him doing quite well if given the chance. And um I think we're gonna see some goals from him. He looks really sharp and he moves really well, as did Nelson. and Niles was probably, I actually think, a better bet than bringing on Sabayas. Only for the role, I think he's the closest to the Shaka role. He can sit in that left-half situation because he's played you know, in defence. I think he could have done that role to try to to block off their wingfielders on that side. So I, I would have maybe done that in hindsight, but again, experience-wise, age-wise... They brought Sabahos on, who was neat on the ball, but I just think he goes, he goes fishing off, he goes fishing as does going to and I'm afraid, one yard in the wrong place, you're going to get picked off. So um, especially against City, (laughs) yeah, and they're good side. It's not mess about. They're good side, right? So, um, so yeah, I just think adding some energy onto City, and I thought they did quite well actually. I know City probably turned off the, um, turned off the Jets, but we looked quite nice towards the end of the game. So yeah, I thought some little bit of some green shoots there.
1: The game got stretched and open, and I think everyone was just kind of playing silly football towards the end. I I think some of the discipline and focus went out of the game, and it it did open up, and we did have a few chances. And, you know, frankly, I think we we could have made it 3 1. Not that we really deserved much from the match, but. Mm -hmm. um, You
2: have to think about it, Elliot. We hadn't played for 102 days. Then we go down to 10 men. That is the last thing you want. You know, we're just not ready for the start of the league. We're certainly not ready for 10 million. So we're literally throwing water out of the lifeboat.
5: Yeah. And Does yeah, anyone ahead, want some breaking news? Yeah, i love some breaking news. Please, yeah. <laughs> um, um, <laughs> um, <laughs> break, okay, break, breaking being an unfortunate turn of phrase, but Pablo Mari is out for the season with a serious ankle ligament problem.
1: Yeah. Now, let me ask you this then. Do you suspect that we will, as a result of that, not do we have an obligation to buy him or an option to buy him?
5: I, I think it's an option, but um, yeah, yeah I don't know because, like, on you know <laughs> Su- Suarez and Mari on loan, and we've got I mean, what have we got to go on, really? Um, yeah, who, know, who knows what's going to happen there? All I know is that um Mustafi is someone is looking over Mustafi like his <laughs> Arsenal career will not die. I mean it, it's pretty <laughs> crazy he, he could like get a
2: contract.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, let me ask you something. W- where is Rob holding? Is he is he still out?
5: No, but I mean he
4: has to be in contention to start um against Brighton. So Yeah, so I mean if you look at it I think Ornstein said that he's in contention for Brighton. Yeah, yeah well cuz it's it's
1: holding Mustafi and that's it. Socrates is, is not fit, right? Luis is suspended. Yeah. Uh, Mari's out. And and this is, I mean, this is the Socrates point. Socrates
2: is fit. He's just not very good, isn't he? <laughs> well, no, he, I
1: mean, I wouldn't play him anyway. I, I, you, you could pick a player at random and play that. A and other would be fine with me. So, well, well let me do this. Let, let's wrap up to start to look towards the weekend and things that might change. And one thing I want to ask you, Scott, is like, I said this on the, the the Patreon pod, which is simply that when a coach does things people don't really understand, then they have to get results. Because if they don't get results, those things people don't understand wind up just looking dumb. Doesn't mean they're dumb, but that's how people are going to react to it. I really, really struggle with a 31-year-old guy going into his final year who's elite at one thing and precisely one thing, and that's banging in goals from the middle of the box. Being moved out wide so a guy who's maybe borderline at best arsenal quality can start and then moving your guy Saka who by the way had his best period of the game where he did get to switch back over to the left over to the right is there going to be a period where Arteta says fine screw it I'm going to play Aubameyang through the middle is there is is it less of an issue than I constantly make it out to be I'm sure people are sick of this topic but it won't go away because he did look frustrated to me in this game and he does look Peripheral and and one of the early raids we did have it's Obamiang on the wing putting in a cross to Enkedia. Well, Obamian's not a particularly great crosser, but you know what he is great at getting on the ends of them. So, does he have to get this right? Does he have to change this? Where's where's your where, where, where's your feeling on the Obamian situation?
4: I you know, we, we've we've had this discussion hundreds of times. It feels like, but yes, I I think that it's probably time to move him there. You know, it kind of made sense when, you know, you're playing Lacazette there because, you know, these are, you know, supposedly two of our, you know, best players. So you want to be able to figure out a way to get them both in the team. But, you know, as much as, you know, you like the idea of Eddie, you know, a guy who came through the academy, he's young, he's got potential. He's definitely not at the caliber to where you push Obami Yang out wide to a, you know, position that's not necessarily his preferred. And then there's the ripple effects where, you know, Saka's moved from his preferred position. You know, and it's just playing a bombing on the wing. You know, you ask, especially against City, where he's being asked to do so much more defensive contributions. And to be fair, he is doing a lot on there. He's not, you know, shirking those or doing anything like that. But it really is just, you know, seems frustrating that you're not going to maximize those missions. So I think you have to kind of think through what is the plan. You know, I know the, you know, that is probably the most important part. It's the, the process. You know, not necessarily the results, but I don't know if I can see what is going on here with this process right now.
1: Yeah. I, I. At the end of the day, we have one player. I think one world-class player. Maybe maybe a Saka gets there. Maybe a Martinelli gets there. Maybe a Guendouzi gets there. Maybe a, a Pepe gets there. Right now, we have one world-class player. And he is world-class at one thing. And we're not using him that way. Now, if you're winning games, fine. If you're not winning games, then that becomes an issue that people are going to naturally focus on. Um, Tim, Tim and Clive, I'll finish with the, these questions for you just really quickly. Tim, looking ahead to Brighton, I do think it's a fair point that Scott made and a good one that this is arguably the more important game. That, that City, <laughs> while it's a game you care about and you'd like to win in this run was the one that you'd probably write those points off if you were going to do that with any of them. So this this one would have been the one that Arteta probably had the eye on to really get the season back up and running. Do you expect to see, I mean, injury and force changes aside, a, a big difference in the way he approaches this, and how much of the changes to the lineup will be as a result of things he saw and didn't like from the
5: City game, and how
1: much will just be the plan he had all along?
5: I, th- I think it will be a mixture. Um, to be honest I I do think the plan will be like I don't think we're going to see Saka as an inverted winger I don't think we're going to see Willock I I don't know actually with Saka injured maybe we will but I'm not expecting to see Willock Um, who knows what's going to happen with Meza Ozil Um, I I think it will be a bit more offensive I I think we'll see Pepe come back in um, for example I think we might see Lacazette as well Um, I'm, I'm expecting it to be different for 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 a mixture of reasons i think it would have been different anyway it's a different game that that will require a completely different game plan but at the same time i do think there are a couple of things that that maybe arteta looked at on a wednesday night so for example willock is one that he might have looked at on wednesday night and thought "Mm, no you've you've not really staked a claim there you can sit back on the bench um so, yeah, yeah, I, I, I think it will be a bit mix and match, but I wouldn't be surprised to see. I'm going to predict five changes, two of which, of course, will be enforced.
1: Yeah, OK, I think that's a good prediction. Uh, Clive, what about you?
2: Yeah, same along similar lines, I think uh, Pepe Lacazette come in. You may even see Martinelli start and the Yang come on later. We have to think about this. Um, but, you know, I think that could happen. I would like to see us move shapes. I think with Shaka being out, He's he's quite unique in that pivot as we alluded to earlier on. I don't think the pivot works without him in the same way. So I'd like to see three in midfield. I think we should start to move towards it, and that means you get options with Granduzzi, Sabias, mela Niles, and uh, Saka could also play in there. And I think that's where his future is as an attacking midfielder, not as a wide player. But saying I think his body will will move him side naturally. So um, let's try it. You know, you, you do it by numbers. When you lose something pivotal, like Xhaka and we've lost Mary as well, you then do it by numbers. You say, okay, let's do let's move it into a three and let's put the three up and redefine really their roles that way. And I really hope we do that now because I think it'll help Pepe. I think we'll get the triangles going. I think we'll define Lacazette. I think a Bamiang with a with midfielder behind him, it'll stop him doing 30-yard doggies because that is a waste of ability. So that's why I like to see us go from there.
1: Yeah, I, I think that, at some point, either you're just going to lean into playing all the kids or you're going to start putting round pegs in round holes. I I think it is a big loss that we've lost. Shaq, it sounds like, from the Ornstein update, maybe for just about the rest of this campaign, because he did seem to be a very important part of the way Arteta wanted to play that first phase of build-up, dropping into the back line and, and helping distribute. I don't think he has a natural fit for that role. Ceballos and Ganduzi are players I like better, but I think they are at this stage of their careers, less uh, positionally disciplined and less willing to sort of sit and distribute deep. They, they want to move with the ball at their feet in the case of Ceballos or in the case of, of Ganduzi, wants to range around the midfield chasing the ball. So, I don't we know. We use Torreira back, don't we? We could really use Torreira back. And I actually felt that he was a big miss against City because we needed someone who could just man-mark De Bruyne, I thought, because he was just popping up in all kinds of spaces between the lines and no one could follow him. So, that, that is a loss. We'll, we'll see what happens at the weekend. I... I you know, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that moving Aubameyang central and putting Pepe on the right and sack on the left is the fix. I remember under Emery, we would have these pods and we'd just say, Oh, if you just play the players in the right position, we'd start winning games. And that didn't happen. There is a talent gap. There is a talent gap. And unfortunately, as Arteta grows as a coach, I think what we will only see more clearly is that he doesn't have the horses. He doesn't have the players to do what he wants them to do. And that's going to be something that we're probably solving for more than just the next few weeks, but potentially the next few seasons. Um, this was a lot of fun, so let's leave it there. Scott's on Twitter at O underscore that underscore crap. Thanks, Scott. Thank you. Tim's on Twitter at Stoberto. Thanks, Tim.
5: My pleasure as always. There it
1: is. Clive's on Twitter at ClivePFC. Thanks, Clive.
2: Thank you very
1: much. Do want to say thank you to everybody who joined me on the hot mic. Um, there are some unfortunate still shots from that video going around, but uh, it, the recording of that is up for patrons. So if you want to fast forward to the Louise incident and see me lose my mind, you can do that. Um, we'll be doing that for more games, usually midweek games, most likely easiest to pull that off. We'll have a uh, Patreon transfer pod starting up soon as well as those live reaction pods after games. I think that's going to be a regular feature for Patreon as well, um, where we just turn on the mics and, and do it a more emotional style, less analytical. I apologize that we didn't get to talk a lot of football this this pod. There wasn't a lot of football to discuss. Thank you, David Louise. So uh, hopefully there will be some swashbuckling, exciting football to, to discuss and many Arsenal goals uh, at the weekend. So we love you. Thanks for hanging with us. The football is back. Bad Arsenal is still better than no Arsenal at all. And hopefully good Arsenal at the weekend. We'll talk to you after Arsenal 10, Brighton No.